that's the tallest building in town. The library, because it has the most stores. Hey, Steve. Hey, Shauna. How's it going? Oh, my voice is a little weird. I was sick last week. Oh, um, no. <laughs> It's been going around a lot. I know, it's, disc- it's bad. I have yet to be sick, so. I'm really happy that you're I eat bed. so many vitamin C's. <laughs> I got like, I got one of those big jars of chewable vitamin C's from Trader Joe's. Uh, I've been drinking vitamin C every day. Nice. Steve, I think that I want to call this episode Ye Old Censorship. <laughs> I'm so glad this is, this is the first time I've heard that. Because. I'm so glad. Because since the beginning, we've been censoring materials um, not letting people read things but now as a librarian we talk about the difference between censorship and selection right so selecting things and not censoring things what was interesting about our interviews is that everybody talked about banning we shouldn't be banning books we should just be talking about ideas and having conversations instead. So the three interviews that we did, I interviewed Kristen Peekel, who is works at the American Library Association in the Office of Intellectual Freedom. You talked to our very own Lynn, the Youth Services Librarian here at Sun Prairie, and then I talked to you. Then <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Shauna, and formerly a prison librarian. True. So that's what we talked about. And and yeah, you're right. It, it was it was good to hear uh, you know, everyone has had a little different perspective on the idea of censorship. There was that theme throughout. Yeah. And honestly, my favorite quote, I have to tell you, it was from Kristen, who said, when you're banning books, you're banning readers. Yeah, absolutely. Mine, too. I wrote, was- it, I wrote it down in red pen <laughs> when she said it. I was like, whoa, hold on. I'm just letting that sink in as I, as I was interviewing her. It was great. It was really good. We have three really good interviews. We're sad that we had to let go of our normal Sun Prairie segment because we had too much content this week. Yeah, but it, is, but it was good because it's good content. It's great. We'll be back next time with yeah. asking people about libraries here in town. So my name is Kristen Peekle, and I'm the assistant director with the Office for Intellectual Freedom, which is an office part of American Library Association. Part of what we do is really focus on intellectual freedom for librarians, whether it's public, school, or academic librarians. We do webinars, write articles, programming at different conferences, all sorts of things. Anything that has an intellectual freedom or First Amendment connection with it. When librarians have questions about censorship, intellectual freedom, best practices, maybe they've gotten a challenge and they need help with it, they can email, they can call, they can fill out the online reporting form and I will reach out to them or they reach out to me and we have conversations about how to best handle the situation or what best practices might be. The censorship issues really will happen anywhere in the country, whether it's rural or urban, big or small. Each case is unique to the specific location. And we really rely on the institution's local policies and local community. And that's why I like to really um, touch base with the state chapter, their intellectual freedom committee. Um, I talk with other librarians that I might know in that 
area so that I get a real sense of what issues might have risen up um, in the past. You and I worked in neighboring communities when there was a big book challenge at your library. Can you tell us a little bit about that? There was a reading list that was on our website for teens. I was the teen librarian, the young adult librarian at the West Bend Community Memorial Library. It was a reader's advisory list for LGBTQ students. Their complaint was about access to the reading list on our website. So they they wanted to remove the the list. And our library didn't really have any policy that addressed removing a website or removing a book list. We did have a policy, although it was very old at the time, that addressed actually just removing the books. That then is the avenue that they took to challenge these books. So they took all the the list of all the books on the website, and then later they would add on more books that they wanted to have removed from the library. When they formed the group, West Bend Citizens for Safe Libraries, they consulted with a number of different organizations about ways and methods of removing books from libraries and realized how difficult it really was to get books removed. So they changed their tactics many times to removing the books, then let, let's just move all the books over to the adult side. That's not really censorship, they said, that we're just moving them to the appropriate location. And then their request was, well, if we can't move them to the adult area, let's have them all labeled as sexually explicit. Anything to really red flag these books as being inappropriate or so that people wouldn't read them. The challenge started in February of 2009 um, and took it was until about June. And and that's when the library board was able to finally meet and address their concerns. It was a public hearing. So we allowed for um, any citizen in West Bend um, and many outside of West Bend to get up for two minutes and speak and share their opinion. The ALA, the OIF, ACLU, WLA, and of course UWM all want to put their hands of control over our library. This is our library, not theirs. We vehemently reject their standards, resent their presence, and we are repulsed by their insistence on holding the door open to sexually explicit, crude, and profane materials to the children in our community. At the end of it, the board voted unanimously to retain all of the books and to not move them and not label them and keep them where they were. And I was very active with the teen volunteers in the uh, Gay Straight Alliance at the high school. There were kids that wanted to read books, and that's why we put together the book list in the first place. How many book challenges were there in the state of Wisconsin last year? There were 13 reports from Wisconsin in 2017, um, one in 2018 so far. Looking through the list, public library, public library, public library, school, school. It's maybe 70% school. Kenosha Public Library, Algoma Public Library, School District of Marshfield, Sauk Prairie High School, Barda Free Library, another one at West Bend. School Library Journal recently published a report saying that many of the books that are being challenged have stories about diverse characters. Uh, What does diversity mean and what does that have to do with book challenges? When I first started here in the office, our reporting form was a number of boxes that they could check. You know, was it a young adult book? Was it challenged because of language? Was it challenged by a parent? Was it challenged by a politician? While that helped with quantification, it didn't really capture the essence of what the challenge was about. So we changed our reporting form and now it's a lot of open-ended 
uh, text boxes. The language that's coming through from people about why these materials are being challenged is really highlighting the prejudice of people. That's how we're seeing that censoring of diversity manifest itself. And it's not because of profanity, because if it was about profanity, you would be challenging a lot of different books. The reason that you're challenging this is because the main characters are all African-American and the cop shoots the African-American kid and kills him. And that's a part of our culture and our story right now that the challenger doesn't want to deal with. That's the kind of narrative that we're hearing a lot. It's the newer books like The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, um, All American Boys, by Jason Reynolds and Brandon Keeley. These are the kind of stories that are being challenged more and more. The problem with banning any book, of course, but uh, banning these books is it really says to the kids that there is something wrong with you or to the readers. Anybody who reads these books and, and finds a picture of themselves in the characters, in the storyline, in the situations to say this is inappropriate or this is bad. We can't have this book because all the characters in this book only use bad language. And so, you know, what does that say about who they are? And so when you are banning these books, you're actually banning the readers. And I think that's really a disservice to the kids who particularly need this book because there's not a lot out there being even published for them. What about materials that have been pulled from publication and don't even make it into libraries and bookstores because of who the author is? I'm thinking specifically of some books recently that have been uh, published by white authors who are speaking from the point of view of people of color, and it's been found to be insensitive or disrespectful in some way. Uh, what does that have to do with intellectual freedom and First Amendment rights? That is an incredibly complex question and something that we're seeing a lot of in the office. We're seeing this dialogue of social justice versus intellectual freedom and that there are some books that are problematic and shouldn't be allowed. Well, I'm a bit of an intellectual freedom purist and I say that with full acknowledgement of my privilege. My, my nationality, my race, my background is not being written about in a ways that I find offensive. So I can, I can say this, that I think we should be able to read anything that is out there, whether it was written by a person that looks like me or not. The thing is, is that we need to have these books available in order to have these discussions. So last year, Scholastic Book Company um, took a book out of publication. It was in the bookstores, A Birthday Cake for George Washington. And this was written by an African-American woman and illustrated by an African-American woman. The editor was an African-American woman. There was so much outcry about the smiling slave imagery that Scholastic pulled it. You know, everybody's like, this isn't censorship because this was a business decision that Scholastic made. But libraries and bookstores don't carry it anymore. When we have outcries like that, even though they have a good heart, it still can be problematic because I want to have this discussion. I want to talk about why this book is problematic. Their outcries have denied me that because they felt offended. I know it's a very subjective thing and you've, you've got to um, do what's right for your, you know, for your position and things like that. But it's also an ethical standard that we need to hold ourselves to, that we are going to provide access to the materials and not shy away from the complexity of certain issues or the 
um, the maturity of things. One of the issues that the group in West Bend had talked about was community standards. Where does the ALA stand on the idea of community standards? It's something to say, well, we don't want this in our library because we have community standards. And, and they don't speak for everybody. The First Amendment is not majority rules. The First Amendment is each individual person. Unless you can make a case that your community standard speaks for every single person that uses your library, you can't, you can't rule by community standard. That's not to say that every book is right for every library. There's reasons we have selection policies. Being a librarian is a very subjective business, and we do our best to use professional ethics and make decisions about what we include and what we don't. And as long as we can honestly say that we're trying to provide access to the materials that our community wants, then we're doing the best job we possibly can. I really believe that it is this fundamental role of libraries to protect the First Amendment and to provide access to everybody, not limiting it to landowners and taxpayers. It's, it's accessible to even the homeless man on the corner. Hi, I'm Lynn Montague. I'm the head of youth services at Sun Prairie Public Library, and I've been here um, going on 12 years now. I went back through my records and in my almost 12 years here, there have been about six formal challenges to children's materials. So not really that many. Um, One of the ones that I found about five years ago, The Poet Slave of Cuba was a Newbery Award-winning nonfiction poetry book. But I had a request for reconsideration form put in because it is, I'm, it's about slavery in Cuba and it doesn't gloss over some of the not fun aspects of slavery. <laughs> and so I had a request for reconsideration put in that they felt that it was too graphic and inappropriate for children. Sometimes a, a patron will come to me with a concern just in person and we talk it through, which happens, that happens more than actually getting a formal form handed to me. This one, the patron followed through and filled out the full form. So then I had to write a formal response to it. And their concern with this book was that, although it was a Newbery Award winner, <laughs> that it was too graphic for children and should not be available in the children's section. So my first step is always, have I read this book? <laughs> because if I haven't read it, how can I form my own opinion on it and justify why it belongs in our collection? So, and this patron had actually had read the book in its entirety according to the form. So that's important. And they did feel that it was an important book. They just didn't feel it was appropriate in that section. They wanted to move it. My response, I, my first step is that I look at the reviews. Most of our materials we buy from professional reviews. And this being a Newbery award-winning book, there was a plethora of reviews. They're all over the place. And I went and looking at the age ranges that it suggested because that's that was really their complaint. Now, I always like to point out to people too, that doesn't matter whether it's in the children's section, the teen section, or the adult section, everything in the public library is available to everyone. <laughs> this book in particular, you know, some of the most highly regarded journals, the Horn Book is a very highly regarded journal. It said it was for ages nine to 12. Very straight up in the children's section. Kirkus Reviews is another very highly regarded publication said it was for ages 10 to 14. Again, pretty 
when that lower age range is in elementary school, it's definitely gonna be in the children's section. Just because one person doesn't agree with it or believes it should be elsewhere doesn't mean we're going to be moving it. It means that we do thoughtfully consider what they're saying and take that in consideration. So I responded to this patron that, you know, we take her suggestion seriously and that we look at it thoroughly. And I copied off many, many sheets of reviews <laughs> with all of the positive attributes of the book including that slavery is a tough topic. And yes, it has a, a somewhat graphic nature to it by what it is. But that doesn't mean that children aren't capable of handling it, or that it's not important that children have knowledge of these things, because if we gloss over our past, well, then the past repeats itself. So sometimes adults don't give kids enough credit for what they can analyze and interpret and handle. I also always say that if something doesn't seem appropriate for your family, that's okay. You know, it, it might be appropriate for another family. And at the public library, we have things that are appropriate for all kinds of families. Can I ask if the person that was challenging this book, whether they were a person of color or not? I don't know for sure because, you know, I don't believe so. I want to say that I never saw met with her in person. I think she just sent this in to me. Cultural considerations are another thing to keep in mind, especially as I am a white woman and as you are a white woman, you know, like we, the library world is a very white profession. So that's something we do need to keep in mind. But every book that we've had challenged in any way, has ended up staying right where it was because they were always age appropriate, well-reviewed and well-regarded and an asset to our collection. One thing that I've always taken to heart, which I always have in the back of my head if I'm approached by somebody, even just in a casual chatting manner in the stacks, is that I don't defend the item in question and I don't defend their viewpoint. It's just a very, it's more of a matter of fact, you just stand and listen. It's tricky when someone walks up to you, especially you always feel taken aback, especially if they're approaching you in person. If you get a formal letter and they haven't talked to you or anything, you have some time to process it because you're reading it. But when someone approaches you either at the desk or in the stacks, my number one thing is to just breathe because otherwise you stop breathing and you start like hyperventilating <laughs> and you just need to relax and realize that number one, they're not attacking you. Number two, in general, especially in my department, it's not that they're really looking to ban a book and they're not like out to get books. They have a legitimate concern and they just want to be heard. So taking a step back, taking a deep breath and just letting them talk and listening is really my, that's my main approach. And in general, once they get it all out and really voice that concern, and I take a step back and say, thank you for sharing your complaint. I appreciate your viewpoint. I, I'll take a further look at this, but I can't make any guarantees, you know, and kind of explain then our process. And especially if they really want me to look at it, then they need to fill out the form, part of our paperwork. If you're serious about this being inappropriate, then you'd be willing to take five minutes to fill out a form. I never lead with, here's our request for consideration form. You know, I never lead with that. All that does is push them to fill it out. And that doesn't make them feel any more heard, but letting them vent for five, 10 minutes, whatever it is, and just acknowledging their the validity of their feelings, not necessarily the validity of their complaint, <laughs> yeah, but the, that they have valid feelings about a material 
And and I always do, rem- I tend to remind people in the stacks that remember this isn't a school library. We are not in local parentis and we don't make the decisions for parents here. And oftentimes that's enough to make people be like, oh, I guess other parents might not have a problem with this. Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) I want to talk to you about working in a corrections library. I guess, well, one of the things I want to know is how how you got into that position and like what you had had hoped to do there. I got in that position because it was a full-time job. (laughs) Shoot. And I was very much wanting to do what I could on the inside of a facility. I assumed that there was a lot of need for someone with my skill set inside. I thought that I could make a big difference. I, I cared about, you know, these sorts of issues that are around the industrial prison complex. Yeah. I I thought I could make a difference. I assumed it would just be like pretty much working in a public library just with a lot more restrictions and sadness and heartbreak. So we're talking about censorship and that's something that you ran up against a lot. I know like as far as you know what what was your power as a librarian to bring materials into the library? It was really bizarre because it, the system was broken just like it is in so many you know so many aspects. I did have all the, I had I had this power that I didn't like and that I could control what was coming in and coming out and it was more intense because of the setting. Technically, there was a list of things that were not allowed in any of the prison libraries in Wisconsin. So there was an, a list that was kept up by librarians who they'd find things and just randomly update it. And sometimes I'd get an email about how it was updated. Really? And I wouldn't pay attention to it what or take they? it seriously because I thought it was silly because yeah. it wasn't updated often. Right. It was very just inconsistent. Um, and I didn't usually agree with it um right. unless unless it was really violent sort of I, but but even then i i don't actually believe in censorship because when you think about it people can draw pictures and they can write things down so right. what is the point if you really are worried about the content of something or how it will affect their rehabilitation you should be i think having more conversations with people and yeah. allocating resources towards therapy maybe medication and those sorts of things instead of worrying about what somebody wants to read right i feel like that as far as these bureaucratic heavy organizations like it's easier for them to just do the simple thing like you can't read this book and that's going to somehow change things yeah and it would rather than addressing the root problems and it affects everyone and the problem is too when it comes to not getting books (laughs) into a library like that in my case there would be books too that weren't on that list and people would be checking that list because i had it in the library Mm. and so they'd be trying to check Maybe also there was a list too within the mailroom that was not the same list as mine. Okay. And it was very confusing as to where that list came from. I never figured it out. Hmm. But so there was tension between myself and the mailroom because people would look up things and, you know, 
they didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. So they'd buy some books or magazines and then it would come to the prison, the mail room, and then they couldn't have them hmm. because of someone in the mail room deciding that it just looked inappropriate. And wow. sometimes that would be a book cover. Yeah. Like literally we're gonna judge this book cover, <laughs> not look at the content. Yeah. So the the people in the mail room would were they authorized were, to Exactly. And I would be arguing with folks because I was like Hey, I, I'm a trained librarian. Right. You should allow me, if you're going to make these decisions, to do my job. If it's if I'm going to be like forced in this way, to, to censor. Yeah. Uh, then let me do it because I'm actually going to pay attention because there are plenty of covers that look all you know. They want it to look exciting. Right. They yeah, want it to look like edgy or right. something, but it doesn't mean the content is a certain. that the content is there that you think is there. So the main things when it came to censoring, things that we couldn't have, it did have to do with if something explains how to make, you know, a bomb. (laughs) Not, you can't have instructional materials about how to make destructive weapons or something. Sex, a lot of like gang related things. Oh, and if it had to do with relationships between people who are incarcerated and people who work in a facility, those are also not allowed. I brought in a bunch of donations. I ended up replacing a third of the collection within nine months because I tried really hard. Yeah. And and I tried to balance it out and bring in books that I thought people would really like because I talked to people all the time about what they liked and what they wanted. I would try and bring in things that I knew actually weren't supposed to be there, but it wasn't obvious by the cover. And so... That's like my way of getting around it. I mean, I I had colleagues that I spoke with other librarians via email, and they were very stern and very serious about censoring. The thing about libraries supplying materials or, you know, giving access to information for their community. You know, in your case, the community would have been the, the facility, but I don't know at what level they make the decision of what what is your part to play in literacy in you know all those the different aspects of what you usually think of a library performing in a, in a community my biggest complaint is that they hired a librarian me and they do this all the time and they have this application that says that you are supposed to be doing all of these library functions like you're talking about hmm. but then they don't let you yeah i had to fight to be a librarian every day in public libraries, a lot of times city councils and things don't understand what the function of the library is, you know, but it doesn't impede the work of the library as much as I, as sounds like it would in the case of a, of a prison library, you know, where you have all these other people who aren't there every day, who aren't working with incarcerated people, and they're making decisions that affect everybody. I would have correctional officers that would refuse to take books that I was sending down to certain units that were like segregation, for example. They had nothing else to do. Mm. And so I would be trying to send books to certain units that really needed them. And some correctional officers would literally just not take them because they would argue, for example, that the books I was sending weren't long enough. They only want big, long books because they don't want to let people out of their cells as often as they would need to because they'd be reading things so quickly. And I would try, I would be so professional and, and cordial, but people would sometimes just hang up on me. Mm. They would throw things away. I would send things down there and then they just would sit um, on a desk and not be given to people and not be put on a cart for people to look through. Yeah. How I'd work around it sometimes is I would 
see who was working because over time I did you know get to know you know okay who is gonna let this through who's not who's going to hang up on me who's going to you know and so I would sometimes be able to get things through depending on who was working so we you talked about a list I was looking at some articles about this, the state of Texas so they have they have a list of 10,000 books that they're not allowed to have in their prison libraries mm-hmm um, and you can get the list online. This is from an article in the New York Times. It, it seems it seems like it's almost random. So, for example, uh, American Psycho was not on the list, and Lolita was not on the list. So, th- those are books that they could have. The Color Purple is on the list. You can talk to anyone and argue about it. They would just it would be somehow set in stone. It was very bizarre. There was no negotiating. When I would bring up things like that. Yeah. Well, why is this okay, but this is not? What the explanation was is that, well, there was a librarian at one point, or a person, who said that this book shouldn't be here. And so we're going to trust that because we're not going to go and read that book. Yeah. We're not going to look into it. They put that work in (laughs) by saying that, oh, this is bad. This is not appropriate. And so that was the argument. Yeah. And it went make any sense and I would just my head would you know spin right but I mean because like okay for example we had (laughs) on my list (laughs) and in those the Wisconsin list that's uh at all the libraries 50 shades of gray was fine Hmm. wow but like you're saying certain (laughs) classics it was just like uh, a hodgepodge mess of that was a a very old list made by many different people and just somehow set in stone. There are many people too working in libraries who have not worked in libraries before. Mm. So it, it does, I don't care if they have a degree or not. It's just that they've literally not worked in a library, but now they're a librarian in a correctional facility. Yeah. And that can make some, the impact of that can be pretty terrible. Yeah. So I volunteer for a organization called LGBT Books to Prisoners, and it's based in Madison, Wisconsin. And folks can donate money or books to us, and then we send them to folks who are incarcerated all over the U.S. Last year, we sent out 3,000 packages to people who needed those books. Mm. And there's also places that support people who are incarcerated, that and so you can learn more and volunteer more. So like. Moses is one. Yeah, and there's the Madison area urban ministry. So there, there are places people can go if they want to support people who are incarcerated and that can certainly have to do with reading materials and just a way to try and speak for those who can't be heard. <laughs>